Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast, where we connect you with stories of starting, growing, and revamping solo and group practices from around the United States and around the world. I'm delighted today to have Dr. Shamina Johnson here sharing her journey of creating a private practice. Can you introduce yourself and let people know um, a little bit about your practice and and where you're located and your website? Sure. My name is uh, Dr. Shamina Johnson. Um, I'm in private practice in Los Angeles, California. I primarily work with adults, individuals, uh, and couples uh, dealing with a range of issues from anxiety to depression to relational difficulties and loving and being loved, as I would actually say. Fantastic. And when did you know that you wanted to be a therapist? Wow. Um, I would, and this may sound so odd, but I knew that I wanted to be a therapist when I watched my favorite movie of all time, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson. Um, You know, just seeing like the idea of I will put in air quotes, you know, the idea of being crazy and what that means and whether or not that is actually true, or is it just, you're just affected by your environment. And so it was really intriguing for me, you know, growing up and watching that movie, watched it so many times since then. And um, how old were you when you watched this movie for the first time? I was, I was an adolescent. I was an adolescent. Wow. So like a teenager being like, yes, like, this is it. I love that. But, you know, also it it kind of mirrored, like, you know, um, I grew up in Los Angeles in the inner city and there was a lot of tension happening, a lot of things going on. You know, this is during the Rodney King riots. This is also during, you know, um, post Watts riot, like just a lot of tension. And I, and it really just felt like, you know, you can feel like you're crazy, but really are you? It, it's there's so much about the environment that uh, yeah. I think influences society and culture that influences like your mental health and your sense of like how you feel. So um, it, in in a way, it was a validating movie, um, you know, for me to watch um, to not feel like I was crazy, like I was I had some kind of control. And I love that you felt validated and you also felt inspired and wanting to kind of like place yourself in that role of helping people to like unpack all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Not just, Oh, I feel validated. I feel like, Hey, I'm not alone in this experience, but also like, I want to insert myself into the experience and I want to insert myself into the healing um, journey and helping people tease that out and unpack what's really happening in their lives. Um, definitely. Um, the idea of becoming a therapist wasn't really cemented until after undergrad, um, where I 
my whole undergrad was in the field of psychology. And after doing a lot of um, research, because I was a research assistant for a few years on HIV and psychopathology, um, after doing the research, I talked to my mentor at the time, and I was torn whether just to go down the track of just doing more research and being more of a professor or being a therapist. And she encouraged me to um, follow through on being a therapist because that's something that she saw within me. And so I made the leap and went into you know, a master's program at Antioch, um, awesome. which is where I got my master's. Fantastic. And so from that mm-hmm. point, when you're done with your, gra- with your undergrad and you start at grad school, from that point to licensed practice, how long did that take you? Oh my goodness. Um, that time period, it took me to become licensed. Wow. Uh, Jesus, it, you, you start to think of like time goes by so fast. Right? But, <laughs> um, from the point of going to my master's program to licensure, I want to say it was around six years, if I'm not uh, mistaken. It was a it was a long journey and I didn't go the traditional route. You know, obviously there were, I had, um, I was married. I got a divorce also during that time. Mm. I also worked, you know, while in my master's program, I worked uh, at a law firm. Um, so mm. very much working in the corporate environment, which is the opposite of being, you know, kind of like <laughs> a therapist and, um, you know, just trying to navigate paying my bills, trying to support myself while doing something that I felt very passionate about. Um, So it did take about like six years, um, you know, and that's including internships and gathering and getting all the hours and working also at the same time. It was process. That was a lot. I mean, honestly, I'm impressed that you were able to do it in six years with all of those moving parts and factors. Um, for a lot of people that have that much on their plate and there, I hear more like eight to 10 to 12 years. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that really like share shows your tenacity, um, in terms of like, nope, right. I'm just going to keep moving down the path and for better, for worse. It was, it's <laughs> in my ambitious nature. You know, I'm very mm-hmm. ambitious and I push myself, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, meet my goals. Um, and like I said, it's for better, or for worse. Like I yeah. also experience, you know, medical issues, health issues, but I think the thirst of just like, I want to see this through, um, also so I can support myself, uh, was really important. Yeah. And so at what point, once you were licensed, how long was it between that? And when you knew that you were, you were going to start a private practice and you started launching that once I was licensed, it I pretty much opened shop at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was renting space uh, at my old uh, internship. Uh, they had space that, you know, they would rent to, you know, um, newly licensed therapists so that you can build your practice. So I did that for a short period of, actually, no, I'm sorry. Like I, it was maybe a few years mm-hmm. that I actually did that building my practice also still working. So it was more like part-time, part-time practice, full-time work. 
and full-time work in term in the corporate legal world in the corporate legal world. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was seeing a lot of clients during the evening and on weekends. Mm. So I didn't have a life. I really didn't have a life at all. Uh, it was just pretty much just working building. And there was one day I felt I need to just get my own office and there were some shifts happening with the counseling center that I was working, uh, that I was renting space at. And <laughs> I remember this moment where the kind of the supervisor, but you know, she was the head, she wanted the key back for, for, for the office. And I was just resistant <laughs> to give mm. the key. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, after about a few months, you know, of her just like, when are you going to give the key? You know, I finally, I realized, oh my goodness, like I, the resistance within me to give the key back is because if I give the key back, then I'm not under the structure anymore. Mm. I'm not under this veil where I will, I'll, I will be officially out on my own in my own private practice where I'll make my own rules and, you know, own paperwork. And for, and it's a scary, it's a scary to do when you don't really mm. have a model on how to do it in, in that moment, feeling like you want to do everything right, but knowing that there's going to be fits and starts and failures along the way, it's hard, you know, to just take that leap. It's very scary. Um, but I did do that and got my own office. Um, and that was in Beverly Hills at the time. And just continued to build from there also Mm. still while working in corporate. So I had two jobs for a while. Well, you had, you had a a full-time job. It sounds like about Mm -hmm. 40 hours or more at the the corporate. Yes. Mm -hmm. 40 hours. And then I think to say you had two jobs and you had a full-time business on the side. Right. And I think that's, it's, it's such an interesting transition, right? When we move from being an employee, right. To being mm-hmm. a business owner. Sure. And I think it's not a, a, an accident that we tend to talk about private practice, as opposed to saying, I'm opening a business because exactly. it's really scary to like open up that business. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we're, I was under the illusion, you know, when you're in grad school, you just feel like, oh, I'm just going to get licensed and I'm going to put up my shingle and that's that. And it is not that simple. Mm -hmm. It is, you are running a business, but at the beginning, I didn't really have that, like really, I couldn't grasp the nature of like, this is my business. I was still under the rubric of this is my private practice and I'm counseling. And it wasn't until probably about the second year of renting space and leasing that I really started to understand that, no, this is my business. And um, I have, there's pros and cons, you know, I have to deal with insurance. I have to deal with fees. I have to deal with documents, um, legal documents, talking to attorneys to make sure that, you know, liability is not, so it became real, Yeah, (laughs) you know, in that moment where, uh, and that's when I think uh, I started to feel like embrace, like this is mine. This is my own. Yeah. And I think too, I think it also becomes real 
when you start to look at vacation or being sick, um, when you start to look at letting go of the other full-time job and really going all in mm-hmm. with your business. Tell sure. me about like, cause I, I, I've talked with a lot of therapists and I've worked with a lot of therapists in boot camp where they, they kind of will ride these two ponies while they are like splitting themselves in half, you know, they're just like trying to do everything all the time. And it can really lead to, to burnout. It can lead to, for some people, it will flare up (laughs) a lot of physical conditions Mm -hmm. because the body is telling us, Hey, this actually isn't sustainable. And we just were like, no, 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 no. Like, and then the symptoms keep coming up until we finally are like, Oh, all right. I hear you. Let me do something about this. Um, so what did that look like for you? How did you start to know when that transition was like a must? It became very strategic, um, at a certain point. Um, and mind you, like during this whole time I stayed in therapy because I felt like it was very important for me to be an individual, my own individual therapy to have a place where I can talk about what I'm feeling, also be able to have the support, you know, going through this process. When being at the law firm, I knew at some point I needed to make the shift. It's kind of like the scales of justice. I knew that when one part like became a little bit higher, like my private practice, as far as monetary and also just, just simplifying it, like it, I'm losing money to actually, you know, I'm losing more money by not being Mm full-time. That's when I knew that it would, that was a time for me to like take that leap. Mm -hmm. So I began to prepare myself with continuing to build my practice. And then at a certain point, I spoke to the law firm and I requested reduced hours. Mm -hmm. And so they God bless them. They granted that, you know, and they said, you know, we really love you. We really want to keep you. Um, We know that you're probably going to segue out at some point, Um, but we're open to it. And so Mm -hmm. I reduced my hours to working almost about 30 hours a week. And so I used, I love that. I was like a whole 10 hours while you're still working a ton over here. I took that opportunity, those extra 10 hours, put it into my private practice. Um, And I did that for about another year, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then I said to myself, okay, now I am making uh, my private practices really making, um, making money. And, you know, I'm also, um, becoming much more known in the community where the therapists are also referring to me. So now I have to set a date (laughs) to leave. Mm -hmm. And that was hard. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefit to having working as an employee, you know, you're under, you know, you don't have a lot of responsibility, you know, you're also not alone. You, you're not in a solitary environment. You're with other people. Um, and everything is pretty much laid out for you. So to go into private practice, your business, you know, you're all alone and you're doing, making a lot of decisions by yourself. You have to decide about vacation. You have to decide about money. Um, it's, it's a kind of lonely road. Uh, so, 
I set a date and it took, I want to say, um, I gave them about a month and a half notice, Mm -hmm. uh, because I've been there for some time. And after I gave them notice, I, you know, had well wishes, you know, goodbye. And then it's interesting. (laughs) Um, I took about three weeks off. Actually, Mm. I took three weeks off from all forms of work. (laughs) Yes. And I traveled to go visit uh, friends, family, went up to Canada uh, for like two weeks, two and a half weeks, because I felt like I needed just that rejuvenation and also connection with my friends and, you know, because they're also supportive as well as my family. And so I I did that. And then I came fresh into my private practice Mm -hmm. and started and it was, it was slow to build, you know, those extra few hours, but it was so freeing. And I thanked myself, you know, the entire time of like, this is you, you did it like, and now you're here and you just kind of just breathe through this and continue to build. But now you just have one thing to focus on. Now you, you mentioned earlier that like, you're like, I did all these things and I just didn't have a life. Right. Like I didn't have a life. And then, Hey, I, I almost see this transition of like this three weeks off that you're like reintroducing yourself to the people that have like probably barely seen you over many, many years because of what a crazy schedule you had. What was it like to kind of go into the balancing now of just having this one thing and then having time for life? Was there like a little bit of discomfort to like manage that of like, what do I do with myself? Like, or did you feel like you flowed right into it? No, uh, that, that you're spot on. Like it was a little uncomfortable because I was used to being so busy pretty much every hour of my day was accounted for, uh, to having blocks, you know, two hour, three hour chunks of time where I can go work out or I can meet up with a friend for lunch, or I can go take a walk. Um, it felt to some degree, so disorienting, (laughs) Um, wrong, (laughs) like like something's wrong. What am I forgetting? Like something's wrong for at least about a month or so, it was a little disorienting. And I, I recall processing in therapy, just what do I do? And I had to push back against that anxiety of needing to fill that time with something to do another job or a workshop or a program or something like that. And just relax, um, into my practice and, and assure myself that there's plenty of time to take extra courses or do programs. Like you have plenty of time for that. So, um, it it was anxiety provoking and it took like a few months to really Mm -hmm. just try and settle in. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. And then how long did it take before you felt like you were full, whatever that means for you from the time that you said that you left the, uh, the law office to, um, completely. And you were just there. This was your only business about how long did you feel like it took you? I want to say about six months to a year, Mm -hmm. um, because I was pretty, I was pretty full, you know, once I left, I was able to feel immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of, uh, clients were just like, I want to come see you once a week or if not twice Mm -hmm. a week. Um, 
to really being full, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, probably a year thereafter. And that was when I made the decision. I was like, I can't really take any more clients, which, you know, to some degree, it's like, it's a good problem to have. Um, but also very overwhelming because you, I still want to be able to help people and, you know, um, having to refer them out is always a little challenging. Yeah. It sounds like maybe even, and I could be wrong, that you didn't start out with, this is how many, this is what my max caseload is. It was something you kind of bumped up against when you got there, you knew it. And then you maybe even went like, oh, I overdid it. And then you kind of stepped back to find that balance. Exactly. Cause I didn't really know, um, what the max would look like for me. My capacity, um, is different than other therapists and their capacity and also their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, I am at my mental capacity where I can't hold anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and that wasn't just about the number of clients. It was more about my mental capacity. And I mean, I have a, you know, my mind is pretty large and pretty, and I hold a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so for some of my therapists, actually like friends that are, you know, my peers polling them, some of them were, I only want to see 15 to 20 Mm -hmm. for me, 20 to 25 was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, so it really was about like me finding my own, you know, sense of like, what is my, how much bandwidth do I have Mm -hmm. and being able to still have a life and go vacation and go visit people. Like what Mm -hmm. is that, you know, what's my capacity? Yeah. I think the capacity and I think sometimes that does, it is impacted by your clinical caseload, right? So if you had, if, if your specialty, you mentioned couples was like high conflict couples, that number might be a little bit lower. Or if you were working with like extreme trauma, you know, that was very fresh, that might be a little lower. If you're working with some other places where you have a a more balanced caseload, it might be a little bit bigger. So I think that other place too, of, of really even knowing what it feels like internally, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like the idea that, oh, wow, I was able to do 22 last summer, no problem. And like this summer, something shifting in me and then looking at your caseload and going like, oh, I had a very different caseload last summer than I have right now. And like allowing that to kind of flow into your practice. I love that. Yeah. And I work pretty, I work psychoanalytically. Um, Mm -hmm. so I see my clients for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. um, where, a relationship really does build. So at a certain point after the initial phase, it does not feel as though there's a lot of heavy lifting. It feels very relational and we're diving very deep, but it's actually rejuvenating Mm. to be in that space less than depleting. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. All right. So once you were full, what did you find? We were talking a little bit before Mm -hmm. things started and what has it looked like in terms of doing other things to, to add to your practice? What are some of the decisions that you had to make about what you want to add in with your clinical work and how have you gone about finding what other things you want to play with? while still Mm -hmm. keeping your life in balance. 
Sure. Um, so once my practice, I mean, has been full, I, I continually am a student of like psychoanalytic work. Uh, so I always do workshops and so forth. Um, and there came a time, I want to say in the last, it was before the pandemic, the year before the pandemic, uh, which 2019, mm-hmm. um, where <laughs> I, I had a thought to myself that it, it was time for me, or at least I felt that I wanted to expand mm-hmm. and I wasn't really sure what that would look like. Um, I had the option, you know, you have the option of either working with interns, having interns come, you know, and building more of like a company, you know, mm-hmm. where you have interns, or I had the idea of, you know, being able to podcast, write, you know, uh, write a book. Um, and so I decided, even though it didn't happen immediately, I decided right around the pandemic when everything shut down, mm-hmm. um, where I was thrust, I think the whole world was thrust into, we were all in the same space of not knowing what life was going to look like, mm-hmm. including, you know, my clients, like we were all just in this space of loss, let's mm-hmm. just say, yeah. um, it was, it took a few months, but there was a place of renewal of like, I want to find things that, you know, things that I can do to, that will be more creative because everything has shut down to, you know, uh, talk to and communicate, I think, to my clients and other people out in the world that are also dealing with issues of racism and, you know, the injustice and also just being on lockdown. Um, because we were all dealing with it. And I felt like that was like the one connecting (laughs) factors that we're all dealing with the same thing. So I decided at that moment, I was like, I'm going to just try and do a podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I tried it and I was like, I actually like it. (laughs) I like um, hearing my voice. I like the feedback. I like being able to have my voice out in the world where people who may not be able to have the luxury of being in therapy is able to have information, but also to be able to critically think about themselves and their lives in a very real way. Um, So it became, you know, something that was very important for me to kind of impart, you know, to like Mm. other people, you know, not just my clients, but also to, you know, the world. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What was your biggest um, surprise um, or thing that you didn't plan for about podcasting? Um, One, it is challenging, you know, to mix music and do all the things, you know, I I didn't realize how uh, hard it is to, you know, uh, not only record, but then to have music and do all these things yourself. If you don't have someone who's you know, like a producer that does them for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's a time commitment um, mm-hmm. that I thought I could do sparingly. 
Um, but after getting so, you know, people who were like, oh, I really heard, I heard your podcast. I really like it. I felt like, oh, I have to make, I have to make a commitment to doing this. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing with social media. Um, once you get started, you, it's almost like it takes on a life of its own and you have to continue with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so the time commitment, um, but I've been very easy on myself Mm -hmm. of not feeling like I have to churn out and produce and produce and produce, but when I have the space every couple weeks. Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapist business school to get started. I'll go into the office, I'll record, I'll write, I'll do some things. And if I don't get to everything, that's okay. It is okay. I think that's mm-hmm. the piece too. Um, even knowing that there's lots of ways to do podcasting. Some people release mm-hmm. a season at a time, right? Like, <laughs> like I think it's, it is sometimes just like that slippery slope with clientele um, where we feel like we have to say yes, yes, yes. Um, even with podcasting or speaking, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. we get to try things on for size and see what feels good um, in yeah. terms of our schedule and, and how we flow out with that. Um, yeah. Kelly and I, yeah, and I always... think, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to go ahead. You off. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, you know, one of the things I've learned over several years of private practice is just understanding your own personal limitations Mm -hmm. on what you can do and what you can't do. Um, Because if I go over that, then I'm of no use to my clients. I'm of no use to the work that I do. So I have to respect my own personal limitations uh, because that's what keeps me in it. Yeah. Keeps us fully, fully present. Mm -hmm. What would be your, if, if there was someone out there like you who was um, maybe they were out there working that other job for like life and survival. Maybe they loved it, but they really knew in their heart that they wanted to be a therapist. And they were trying to figure out like, how do I get from like paying my bills and living my life working in this other field to having what you have, having this, this place, what would be your biggest piece of advice to them? Well, one, I think my first piece of advice would be um, to stick with it. It it may feel like you're stuck in traffic. I like to use the analogy. It might feel like you're stuck in traffic for a while, but after after being in traffic, things do move a little bit and you eventually get to your destination. So I would say stick with it. Don't, di- don't get discouraged. Um, everyone's journey is not the same. Um, for those individuals who work like I did um, and have a private practice, I really am proud of the way I did it. Um, yeah. It being very strategic, even though it was really hard, um, I would really, I would help, I would help, I would just 
tell them to really be realistic <laughs> about mm-hmm. the journey that it's going to take. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it will, it's going to take some time, but if you stick with it and make decisions, conscious decisions, not decisions based on anxiety, then it all will start to take shape mm-hmm. um, eventually. But you have to really make a sober decision about like, th- be very thoughtful about what you're doing and um, the decisions that you make to get you to the goal. Yes. I think that that place of, there are so many people that make the decisions out of fear. Um, and those decisions made in fear are, are never our best self, right? Right. It's like the worries that we have, the anxieties are there to help support us, but we take that also with the opportunities and we put it all, put it all out on the table, you know, and really look at that and say, yeah, no, what, what really works for me? What really makes sense for me? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think too, one of the, one of the pieces that that I always, I see people get stuck is sometimes they create that, that business and they haven't really like worked out that, that strategy of, well, what would this look like? How exactly am I going to get to a point where the scales of justice, where the scale of my private practice (laughs) is making more money than the scale of my other full-time job? Uh, sometimes people I've, I've worked with people, they're like, I've got this private practice on the side. It's really full of people. My average rate is $45. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're not, the scales are never going to, I feel like I'm burned out. I can't get up to 30 clients. No, you can't. You can't get up to 30 right. clients while you're working another 40 hour job. Like, let's talk about what, what do we need this average hourly to be. And that can impact Mm -hmm. what insurance contracts we say yes to, um, Mm -hmm. what we say no to, what fee we charge. And maybe even I often advise that if people are trying to move from a full-time job into a full-time practice to leave insurance until you've moved over and you're established, because Mm -hmm. I think it's so hard to manage calling insurance companies chasing down the, (laughs) chasing down money, Mm -hmm. um, managing all those contracts while working another full-time job. If we can take a little bit of that complexity away, even if your long-term goal is to have a hybrid practice, just so we can get you over the hump and then add the complexity of insurance once you have your full energy. Um, Exactly. Um, I mean, that's what I really like about your your podcast and your blog and what you, um, you do Miranda, um, is when you're in grad school, no one teaches you how to run a business. They just yeah. teach you about the relational thinking and therapy, which is great. But when you're in private practice, you're using a different skill set skill set. You know, it is very business oriented. It's not that you're less empathetic to, you know, your clients or anything like that. It is, you're running a business and it becomes, it's about numbers. It's about being able to keep the lights on. It's being able to support yourself, like being able to be in charge. And I had to learn that by trial and error. I read a lot of books, um, a lot of money management books for like dummies, (laughs) you know, but also (laughs) I talked to a lot of, um, 
peers, thank goodness, I, you know, who have been in private practice for a while. I've also talked to other, you know, people in the corporate environment, how they run their business, how they manage their business, thinking and observing how they handle certain situations. That has been so helpful to me in being in private practice and also being able to sustain myself in private practice uh, without feeling, you know, that, you know, like the security, you know, it's just going to be like pull, you know, pull from it. Like I've been able to sustain myself by being able to use resources like outside of myself to, uh, you know, help me like continue to grow, but also I think grow my own knowledge of, how to shape my business. Um, obviously yeah. some things that work for other people, they don't work for me, um, but it, it's, it's developing a whole new skill set within you yeah. that is separate from therapy. I mean, and it I does think- become therapeutic, you know, when you talk about money and fees and people yeah. not paying, but, but I, yeah, go I, ahead. <laughs> there's something in there. So that this place too of, I think, what we often want to do is keep it so separate. This is the, all the clinical work and the therapy, and here's the business stuff. And as long as I like keep them in totally separate sides, they won't impact each other. But my experience has been for myself and for, you know, lots of therapists that I've worked with over the years is that if you don't manage the business side of things, it will absolutely seep into the therapy room. It will lead to resentment it will lead to exhaustion. It will lead to burnout. It, it leads to therapists falling asleep in session or double booking sessions, uh, you know, being stressed about money, all of these different pieces that ultimately impact the therapy room. And so sure. learning the skill set, I think in private practice is what allows us to be fully present clinically. Um, and so, and to know that, um, the numbers do matter and the numbers matter. So you can be fully present. The numbers matter financially because I want to make sure that the first person I see of the week and the last person I see of the week, that they get the same level of like presence from me and not that they get that person saying, okay, one more, I can do it, <laughs> you know, and I'm watching the clock because I'm, I'm burnt to a crisp. I love yeah. the word that you used earlier, rejuvenated, that you have created a practice where you are in flow and doing what you're meant to do. And you leave those sessions rejuvenated and you know what the number is when that shifts from not being rejuvenated anymore. Sure. Yeah. And I would go as far as to say, um, that being able to know yourself, mm-hmm. it impacts not only what I do in the room therapeutically, but also the decisions I make as a business owner. Um, being able to examine those thoughts and feelings that you feel, it does help because mm-hmm. if I don't understand that I'm anxious, you know, um, then it's going to bleed out in these areas. Like I'm, it's going to bleed out into how I am with my clients and they're going to feel it. It's also going to bleed out into my business and it's going to affect my decisions Mm -hmm. and what I decide to do. 
like I will be behaving in a certain way and not really understanding why. So I think I would go just, you know, just a step of just like knowing yourself um, and understanding, I think all the processes is your thoughts, your feelings and mm-hmm. what you want mm-hmm. um, is so important. And I think, it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and I think you mentioned it earlier, like the importance of being in therapy and how powerful that can be as you're going through this transition. And what's so interesting is that if you have a therapist who has their own unexamined issues and anxieties around business, it can then bleed into you and what you're doing in your therapy work. So I think it's very important that we really surround ourselves in, and again, whether that's private practice mentors, community, whatever that looks like with people where we have kind of some shared values and visions, of course, there's always going to be shifts, but if somebody has a very, maybe an unexamined view or some money issues that they, that have been unexamined, it's really hard to really work through your stuff with that person that hasn't done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Miranda, like, you know, what you're saying is like spot on, like, well, one thing that being in therapy for me has taught me, it's helped me understand myself and how I negotiate the world around me in a very deep way. Um, and you know, the, my therapeutic approach is very psychoanalytic. So it is about a lot of unconscious material and understanding your defenses. And one of the things I learned early on is that I cannot help, um, any of my clients or help anyone unless I examine it within myself, whether if that's money, fear, trauma, sexuality, um, relationship stuff. Like I cannot help you unless I've examined it myself on a very deep level. I'm in like, not even, and also including race, you know, I'm, I'm a black woman here. Like I have to examine that very deeply. Um, in order to be able to be available to my clients and talk about it in a very real way uh, so I can help them also understand themselves. I, I think that place that and it often goes unspoken um, and it's something that Kelly and I have been exploring for a long time and trying to even let the, the white therapists out there in the world know that don't know anything about whitewashing. They don't know anything about um learning to hide who you are to take down pictures before people come to appraise your house because your house Mm -hmm. is going to get appraised at a lower level. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And this actually just happened to a friend of mine just happened like, like last month. And it was just like, is this really still happening? Like, is this really still happening? But these are the things that are happening. And so how does that impact when you go out to market yourself, when you go out to launch a website. And like somebody says, well, you should put your picture on your website. You're like, wait, I've been taught for a long time. You don't put your picture anywhere. (laughs) You know, Mm. like I, it's not, a, it's, there's some pieces that have to be explored and and examined. And it's a, it's a, it's a whole nother layer and bringing yourself out there as a business owner, as a woman of color, you know, and safety issues as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think the issue of race, you know, prompts a lot of excessive anxiety um, that if we don't learn to talk about it um, openly, um, 
then it blocks our ability to be able to, the capacity to be able to think about it, mm -hmm. to think about it, communicate, develop the language um, so that we can be open about about like having a conversation about race or what it's like for me to, you know, put my picture out there and feeling a sense of like anxiety and maybe a little bit of shame or something like mm -hmm. that. Like I have to be able to talk about it and including, you know, I think with therapists, um, white therapists being able to talk about like their own feelings of like, I, don't really know um, what it's like to be black or I am privileged. Like, it's not that it's not a, an, an idea of like, we have, there, there's a right or wrong because there is no right or wrong. It really is about, can I just be open and talk yeah. about what I don't know? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and I think that's like the start of like, just being able to start to talk about, like, I can talk about what I don't know. And that is opening the door. Yeah. It's, it's a powerful, powerful thing. So I'll mm -hmm. ask the question because yeah. I feel like you <laughs> opened the door. <laughs> what, what advice would you have specifically for other black women or clinicians of color, whichever you'd like to focus on in terms of opening up their private practice? What advice would you like to give them? Well, um, I will definitely, I will say, um, please be in therapy, um, because being out in the world, um, as a woman of color and opening your private practice, um, you will be faced with not only, only your internal feelings of anxiety and fears and shame and whether I'm, if I'm capable of doing this, if I can, if I'm, I feel good enough, but you will also be met with external issues as well that you have to think about and learn how to deal with. And, you know, a lot of I call them, many people call them microaggressions. You know, I call them racial impingements. Um, they, sometimes they come to you and, you know, it's, it's within a look or it's a comment and it can be so destabilizing and you find yourself mm -hmm. thinking and feeling and acting in ways that you would never have done. So mm -hmm. I think it is so important to do the work internally to understand the realities of what you're facing. Cause I think when you can understand not only yourself, but the realities, then it puts you in a position of being really prepared mm -hmm. to deal with, you know, okay. Like I, for example, I remember I was looking for office space in Beverly Hills and I was met with the lease. Uh, I was leasing. I want to lease the space and, you know, initially the man, the man, he looked at me pretty shocked that I wanted to lease the space oh. full time. And he was very surprised that I work psychoanalytically. Um, and I commented and I said, you seem shocked. You seem very <laughs> shocked by me being here. And he got like, he was like, well, I just have never really come in contact with someone like you. And so if I if I wasn't prepared or if mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking like this is something that I might have to expect, then I could have taken that in a different way, but it was mm -hmm. more of not what's wrong with me, but what's wrong with you. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> that here we are in 2021 and this is your reaction. Um, so it was a moment where I can separate mm-hmm. and think about, wow, like this is how he's reacting towards me. I mean, the, I never, I didn't take the, you know, the place cause it just wasn't a fit, but I think those are interactions you will come across, including clients as well. You know, yeah. I have a pretty most predominant, my, my clientele is about 75% black, mm-hmm. but I also see clients of all other ethnicities being able to talk how it is for someone who is non-black to, or even black to come and see me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just being able to be in flow and talk about it. So I, I really do encourage those who are going to start private practice, you know, get in therapy, really start to think about race, think about yourself in the world, how you understand it, how you want to negotiate it um, in a very deep way so that you can talk about it openly and be able to prepare yourself for, you know, other things. For the, for the world. <laughs> yes, for the world. <laughs> for At our, large, uh, yes. Bless our heart world uh, that we have out there and uh, what that looks right. like. Oh yeah. my gosh, this is such a wonderful, juicy conversation. I know uh, that this was, we went a little bit over. Oh, we did? Uh, oh. Well, no, 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 not in a bad way. Okay. Like, it was so good. Um, but for anyone listening that they're like, wow, this was a long one. We're so glad that you, <laughs> you hung with us. I'm sure you were, um, enjoying this conversation as much as I was. I, I, I really did. I really uh, did. Thank you, Miranda. Yeah. It was great. You. It was a treat. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are listening, go and check out the show notes and you can go and check out Dr. Johnson's website and uh, learn more about her practice in Beverly Hills. If you are looking for more support in uh, growing or revamping your solo or group practice, we have resources for you over 10 hours of free training and a free community over 15,000 members. It is not on Facebook. There is no ads. There's no drama, just really great people coming together to build a nice, safe community of support um, for you in private practice. You can find it all at zenime.com. And until next time, if you love this, go and rate us, subscribe to us on wherever you do the podcasts and see you next time. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinimi.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.